0: Well, hello, and welcome back to the Straight A Nursing Podcast. I'm so glad that you're here with me today. We're going to be talking about AVMs, arteriovenous malformations. Before we dive into that, though, let's take a quick minute to give a shout out to Erica, who says, I graduated nursing school tonight, magna cum laude. Thank you to Nurse Mo and Straight A Nursing Podcast for all your help. I will continue to listen throughout my career. I appreciate you so much. Erica, congratulations. You graduated nursing school. That is amazing. And I just want to thank you for taking time to write and let me know how much the podcast has helped you. It absolutely means the world to me. So thank you again, Erica. So if you're listening to the podcast and feeling like it's helping you, you can easily submit a review to Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen. I read every single one of them, and when I'm having a rough day, I tell you, I go and I read what you have to say, and it just, it brightens my mood. It turns everything around. So I would really appreciate that if you would do that. I've got instructions in the episode notes to make it super, super simple. Okay, we're going to be talking about AVMs. And there is a lot I'm going to be sharing with you today about this condition. So if you're driving or doing something else, don't feel like you have to stop and take notes because I now have a way for you to get a downloadable study guide to go with this episode. I'll talk to you a little bit more about it at the end and include a link in the episode notes. So an arteriovenous malformation, otherwise known as an AVM is an abnormal cluster of blood vessels that lack a capillary network. So recall from your anatomy and physiology that capillaries are those tiny little blood vessels that deliver oxygen to the tissues and connect arteries to veins so that blood can return to the heart to offload CO2 and pick up more oxygen. So this lack of a capillary network results in both disrupted blood flow and disrupted oxygen delivery to the tissues. Now that blood flow inside an AVM is a rapid circulating blood flow, which leads to vasodilation of the upstream artery. This causes that upstream artery to weaken and possibly even rupture. AVMs are most commonly seen in the brain and spinal cord, but can occur anywhere in the body. Individuals most at risk for this condition are those with a specific gene mutation, a family history of AVM, and those with a condition called hemorrhagic telangiectasia, also known by HHT. So now let's talk a bit about the complications of AVMs. So the most significant complication is hemorrhage, and that's due to that weakened or ruptured vessel wall. Imagine if AVM is occurring in the brain and spinal cord, bleeding in those areas, very, very bad. There's also risk for ischemic stroke due to the formation of blood clots in the area of disrupted flow or risk for cerebral anoxia because of decreased blood flow to that area of the brain. All of these things that happen with AVM can be fatal. Individuals with AVM are also at risk for seizure, dementia, or impaired cognitive function and intracranial microbleeds. They can also cause tissue necrosis and damage nearby nerves, leading to a loss of function and or sensation to the affected area. So now that you've got a little background about AVMs, let's go through this condition using the straight A nursing latte method. So as always, we start with the letter L. How does the patient look? What are their signs and symptoms? Most of the signs and symptoms of AVM are going to be neurological in nature because most of them occur in the brain and spinal cord. The patient may complain of headache, dizziness, vision changes, and problems with memory. They could exhibit ataxia, which is that loss of coordination, and this can also encompass and lead to gait abnormalities. They could also have back pain, lower extremity weakness, and paresthesia if the AVM is in that spinal cord. They could have aphasia, which means the individual has difficulty with speech, both speaking and understanding. Some patients may even experience dementia, hallucinations, confusion, and seizures. They may have learning and behavior disorders. These could be subtle, and they could show up years before the more noticeable symptoms are pronounced. If the thermoregulation center of the brain is affected, The individual could have a high body temperature not related to an infectious process. This is sometimes called a central fever or a neurogenic fever. And they could also have skin lesions on the torso, on the neck, on the extremities due to a lack of oxygen being delivered to underlying tissues. The next letter of the LATTE method is an A for assessment. How are we going to assess this individual? Your priority assessments are going to be to monitor your patient for any neurological impairment. If you'd like a refresher on neurological assessment, go back and listen to episode 234. Some key things to make note of are any sudden deterioration in neurological status. This could indicate a stroke is occurring either due to hemorrhage, a blood clot, or lack of oxygen flow to a portion of the brain. Any signs of a stroke at all are going to cause you to sit up and take notice, right? So that's slurred speech, vision changes, loss of movement, loss of sensation, difficulty understanding language, facial droop, etc. If the patient says they have a sudden onset, very severe headache, this is very, very concerning. You'll often hear the patient describe it as the worst headache of my life or it's like a thunderclap. This is a sign of hemorrhagic stroke and is a neurological emergency. You will assess for any loss of sensation or numbness tingling in the extremities and assess for musculoskeletal abnormalities. Assess their hand grip by having the patient squeeze both of your hands. Assess ankle strength by having the patient perform dorsiflexion and plantar flexion against resistance. Other strength assessments include holding the arms up for a count of 10 and holding each leg up one at a time for a count of 5. You also want to assess the patient's gait, making note of difficulties that put them at risk for falls. Perform a full skin assessment looking for those skin lesions or signs of tissue necrosis. And you can also listen for the presence of a bruit, which resembles a blowing sound caused by the very rapid blood flow through the AVM. Now let's talk about tests. T is the next letter in the latte method. The tests for AVM are going to be aimed at identifying the abnormal structure through imaging studies. These include cerebral angiography, also called CT angiography. This test utilizes contrast dye and radiation to show the structure of blood vessels. This test supplies the most reliable images for AVM identification. The patient could also just get a standard CT scan. This test uses radiation to create images, and it's going to be useful when assessing for the presence of hemorrhage specifically. If the CT scan is negative for hemorrhage, then we can attribute the causes of the patient's neurological condition to something else. Maybe it's because of a blood clot, which again, these patients are at risk for. An MRI could be done to show abnormalities in neurological tissues. So that's MRI. We also have MRA. So MRI is magnetic resonance imaging, and MRA is magnetic resonance angiography. This test will show blood flow abnormalities in the brain and spinal cord, And is considered a good option for those who cannot tolerate the contrast dye used in cerebral angiography. Doppler ultrasound may be done to measure blood flow. A specific Doppler test called a transcranial Doppler ultrasound measures how fast blood is flowing through the brain. The next T in the latte method is treatments. How are we going to treat someone with an AVM? So the goal of treatment with an AVM is to improve blood flow to the tissues and prevent complications. Some patients may simply need to be observed for any changes to the size and blood flow of their AVM. When intervention is needed, two common procedures are sclerotherapy and embolization. Though not curative, these procedures can prevent the AVM from progressing. So in sclerotherapy, a sclerosing agent is injected into that malformation, and this destroys the vessels and causes basically scars to form, thereby decreasing blood flow through the AVM. Now, endovascular embolization is another type of procedure that is used. And in embolization, special materials such as medical glue or coils are deployed through a catheter and placed inside the AVM to block blood flow. The patient may also get surgery. Surgery could be conducted to remove the AVM or reduce its size. Surgery is typically considered when the malformation is located superficially, so easy to get to, and smaller in size. Radiosurgery is a minimally invasive treatment option that may be used for smaller AVMs that have not ruptured. In this procedure, a beam of radiation is focused on the AVM to damage the vessels, causing them to close over the next several months. And then ablation is another procedure, and it's usually considered in those who have complex AVMs that are not treatable with surgery sclerotherapy or embolization. So this is percutaneous radiofrequency ablation. And in this procedure, the tissue of the AVM is destroyed through a very high powered and continuous radiofrequency ablation technique. Now let's talk education, the final letter in the latte method. How do we educate the individual who has an AVM? The most important thing is that we're going to teach our patients and their families to recognize the signs of stroke, especially that hemorrhagic stroke, which they are at such high risk for. This includes that sudden, very severe, worst in my life, thunderclap headache, vision problems, difficulty with speech, and difficulty with movement. Patients who undergo an invasive procedure such as surgery will receive standard post-op teaching and include monitoring for signs of infection such as fever, redness, swelling at the surgical site, any purulent drainage, and increasing pain at the surgical site. And then some patients are going to be sent home with heparin for anticoagulation if that is what they need. Ensure the patient understands how to administer the medication and properly dispose of their sharps. They also need education on bleeding precautions, such as using an electric razor instead of a blade razor, avoiding falls, being extra careful with knives and scissors, things like that. After surgical incision of an AVM, the patient should be reeducated on the signs and symptoms of AVM as it is common for the malformation to reoccur. And you always want to make sure that your patient knows when to seek medical attention, what neurological signs and symptoms to watch for, even those skin lesions, all of those things that would indicate the AVM is getting progressively worse and needs to be looked at by their physician. So there you have it, your quick but intense guide to arteriovenous malformations. So I promised you some information about how to get this as a study guide. So I'm offering a new component to the podcast, and it's called Power Guides. And you can find more information about Power Guides at straightanursingstudent.com forward slash Power Guides. Basically, you sign up for the Power Guides, and you'll get a downloadable study guide sent to you every week with your podcast link. Now, if you sign up after the fact and you want to go back and get Power Guides for past episodes, those will be available as well. I'll put a link in the episode notes so that you can power up your studying with the Strategy Nursing Podcast with Power Guides. So I want to make sure you come back and visit me here again next week. I'm going to be diving into the sepsis bundle. So if you've been curious about how we treat sepsis, then head on over. Same time, same place next week. See you then. This podcast is brought to you by Straight A Nursing.